What's up, everybody? Hello, listening world. Those people who are listening, we are so listening. We are. We are listening. You, no, we're not listening to you. We're talking, but we hope you're listening and you can talk back to us. We'll listen. Oh, yeah. You know, I saw an episode of Doctor Who the other day. Wait a second. Wait a second. We always do this. We are the Lanky Guys. This is the Word on the Hill you're listening to. My name is Scott Powell. <laughs> and I'm Father Peter. Who, I'm a Doctor Whovian. Okay, Doctor Whovian, a Whoville. Doctor uh, Whoville. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so one of the it's like it's the third season of Doctor Who. There's an episode called Blink. Okay. And bow tie or necktie? Um, uh, no tie. No tie. <laughs> oh. Uh-huh. And uh, and and um, what happens is the Doctor is is like trapped in 1960s. And uh, and he he made a recording and then put an Easter egg on all these DVDs that were in her library, and but it was all these like weird time timey wimey things that uh, she was like talking back <laughs> to timey wimey. Yeah, they were like she and so she was talking back to the recording, and so you t- can do that with us. Is just pretend. You can. Pretend that you're one of us, and then you're while here. the other one's talking, just like try to interrupt. People have told me that when they listen, they feel like they're just in a room with their friends. That's because they are. They are. You're in a, or in your car, or in the cab <laughs> of your truck, or wherever you. Or in your little, uh, your little elliptical machine. Ellipticals. Wherever you listen. Yeah, Nordic tracks. Your Nordic tracks. Somebody, somebody, <laughs> tell me about how they were uh, back on their Nordic track, and they were like, "Yeah, it it might have caused some sciatica." Oh, <laughs> Time, times are hard, times man. Times are hot. Okay, well, today we're reading from the Leviticus, seventh Sunday in ordinary time. Oh, thanks for reminding me. No, I'm just just saying it. So we only have one more week until. Uh... <laughs> you're judging me as well. No, I'm doing. not. That's okay. I'm judging. I'm judging everybody else. Um, but we only have what two more weeks till till Lent. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and and then we have to pay back all of our debt because it was Lent out. <laughs> that was terrible. That was it, was it was just improv, man. I'm no, just, it was good. I'm it was just good. I'm not just what you're re- we're riffing. We're riffing. We're riffing. Here we are. Okay. We're riffing. Yeah, I feel it's it's definitely no. It's riffing. good. Okay, so our the seventh Sunday of ordinary time. Our first reading comes from, as you said, Leviticus. It's uh, chapter nineteen, verses one to two, and seventeen to eighteen. Which I did not look at the lacuna there. Um, it's you're not missing much. Okay, I, the, you, we have a responsorial responsorial psalm, which is Psalm one hundred three. Responsorial what? Sam. It's it's responsorial salmon. And um, Psalm 103. Is that sacrilegious? No. Are we allowed to be? Okay, no, I'll trust you. It's, all, it's verses 1 to 2, 3 to 4, 8, 10, 12 to 13. And the response is from 8a, just in case you were wondering, friend. So, um, and then we get into the first Corinthians. The the friends who are from Corinth, they uh, are sharing with us chapter 3, verses 16 to 23. No, they are not sharing with us. Paul is sharing with them. Whatever. I it's mean, not whatever. Like, this is a no, big no, deal. Paul wrote said, them a letter. Yeah, I know. And then they shared it with the rest of the church. Oh, fair enough. Suck, yeah, you're right. Okay. No, I, I I see what you're saying now. I misunderstood. And you were right. I was wrong. Okay. And? You're good looking. I'm ugly. You're uh-huh. strong. I'm not very much. So. Okay. You now have that a bigger we have... Jeep than I do. I have a very small old Jeep. You speak very eloquently. I speak terribly. Uh, now that we have that clear, I can move <sighs> on to the gospel. Very good. Then we have uh, the uh, Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 38 to 48, exactly 10 verses. And um, it's actually, this is that, that this passage is meant for dentists and so uh, and ophthalmologists. <laughs> what? 
Oh. <laughs> so, so we'll get to the yes. ophthalmology and there dentistry as we get into this baby. Oh so, my goodness. Um, can you tell me about Leviticus? I would love to tell. I, do you know how much I love Leviticus? Um, is, Sorry, let me clarify that. Let me say that differently. Do okay. you know how much I love teaching about Leviticus? I don't. I love it. I would teach a class on Leviticus any day of the week if I thought people would come to it. Would you teach me a class about Leviticus right now? No. I, well, I can tell you a couple of things about it, but I mean, I would love to go like full on go all the way through. Full on Leviticus, man. Well, dude, I, I, think I love it, and it explains the Gospels like no other book of the Old Testament does. Whoa. I don't think it explains it more, but it adds the kind of insights that you would not get from so much of the other. I, I don't know what I'm saying, but it's it's a really cool, it's a really cool book. Um, I don't I, I don't think Leviticus is anybody's favorite book. However, though Leviticus, the book of Leviticus is quoted forty times in the New Testament. Whoa! Either directly or indirectly, which tells you something about the book, right? That it's very important. And it's that very important. Jesus sees it as super important. And no. and the number 40 is the number of purification. Exactly. Well, you, or we, generation. We there? Or generation? 40 years is a generation. Oh, nice. Exactly, a generation. That's why when Jesus, remember at the end of the gospel, says all of this will happen upon this generation. Yeah. He's talking about the destruction of the temple. It's about 33 or so when he says that. The temple's destruction uh, is in 70. It's exactly about, exactly about 40 years. It's precisely a... <laughs> Approximately, <laughs> it's ex- yeah. <laughs> but he says that generation will see anyway. Yeah, so forty is significant. Yeah, um, anyway. forty years I've endured this generation. But th- I don't think Leviticus is most people's favorite book, <laughs> partially <laughs> because it's not actually written for us. Oh, it's written specifically to the Levitical priests about what it means to be a Levitical priest, how they should function, how they should operate, and how they should actually teach the rest of the faithful people. Oh, so it's specifically to them. It's not for us. We yeah. are the secondary audience in a certain sense. Now, it's still scripture. It's still good for us. We need to know it, but we need to if we if we are going to understand it, we need to understand who it's being written to. Um, and and this, it is this weird book. I mean, this is where so many people have so many beefs with the Bible. This is, you know, these questions, what does God have against shrimp? You know, why doesn't he like shellfish? Why are, why are these things unclean? What does he have against women at certain times? You know, all this stuff is this weird stuff that happens that all does have a context, but the main theme of the book, and I love that the church chose this particular passage and then jumped down about 15 verses to the next one, which is usually, I find the opposite. annoying. Yeah, usually, usually we, we like yell at, at the, the people who did it. I love it this time because the theme of Leviticus, if you had to pick out one major theme from the book, the theme of Leviticus is be holy as God is holy. Be holy as God is holy. It's a book about holiness. So that's what it actually opens up by saying. The Lord said to Moses, this is verse 1, Speak to the whole Israelite community and tell them, Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. What does holy mean? I mean, like, is this... Because my typical understanding of what holy means is um, separated and intentionally used for a singular purpose towards God and worship of God. Yeah, I think that's fair. A shorthand way of showing it, it's sharing in the life of God. We're set apart to share in God's life. So that's why, I mean, this is going to have huge ramifications for the gospel. I mean, we're supposed to be like God. What does it mean to be holy? You be like God. I think that's Leviticus's definition of holiness. And I think that's what Jesus is going to take up as well. I think that that uh, by the, that definition, I'm doing really well according to my mom. <laughs> I'm just kidding, mom. <laughs> just, dude, it's always fun to talk to your mom on the radio. I just have to say, for everybody who's out there, that's why you say, hi, mom. Like, there's nothing better. Let's just be honest. Okay. Quick nutshell on the book of Leviticus. It's okay. split into four parts. 
That, so, so here's your crash course on Leviticus. Okay, so it's like a double peanut shell where you have to like break <laughs> it apart in yes. for all of four parts. Exactly. So the first part is what's called the manual of sacrifice. So it's literally instructions to the priest on how to sacrifice different things. Okay. So the manual of sacrifice. Second part, there's a short historical narrative from chapters 8 through 10. There's a little bit of narrative about what's happening when they're out in the Exodus period in the wilderness. There's So there's a tiny bit of story. Um, then you get what's called the manual of purity. And then that's followed by what's called the holiness code. So you can kind of summarize all this. Um, you could say, if you're going to whittle all this down, you can say the first part, the first half of the book, eight, 1 through 10, is about the way to God. And according to Leviticus, there's two ways to God. There's through sacrifice and there's through the priesthood. Through sacrifice and through the priesthood. The second half of the book is the way to holiness. What is holiness? Well, it's being like God. So how do you become like God? Well, you get specific details about what God expects of his people. And so there's two major parts of that part of the book. The first way you get through to God, close to God, is through sanitation, which is kind of a funny word. But it's about, <laughs> you know, things that are clean and unclean. And oh, yeah. I wish we had time to talk about that because it's the most interesting part of the book for me. So sanitation and then sanctification. So actually being purged, becoming like God in a certain sense. So uh, literally the, the first half of the book is the way to the Holy One. The second half is the way to holiness. That's what the book is all about. Does that make sense? Yeah. I wish we could talk about sanitation. I, 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 well, um, let's, say, let's talk about it really quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. <laughs> just just a is... word. So one of the things that – and I'm not trying to get weird or graphic. One of the things – so in Leviticus, you get this long list of the things that make people unclean. Yes. Um, this is pertinent. In the, we talked about how pertinent this is for the gospel. So remember that story in the gospels about the woman who was suffering from the bleeding? For, from the hemorrhage. From how, for how long was it? Seven? No. So 12 years because 12 it's years, directly yeah. related to the 12-year-old girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's suffering from this for 12 years. Um, bleeding in that way actually makes a person unclean, ritually, ritually unclean. And there's a, yeah, that you hit on it. There's a very important distinction. This is not morally unclean or ethnic, ethically, ethically unclean, but it's not a moral quality. It's a ritual quality. So that means when you're in that state and, and anybody, if, if I was bleeding, if I touched a dead body, if, um... I don't know if you just gave birth to a child. If you just gave birth to a child, which uh, you know, well, that's a whole different. That's a set whole of, different uh, issue. Uncleanness, but um, <laughs> basically, all of these things would would render you unclean for a period of time. All that means, again, you're not immoral. And, and, and pustules, like it's you know, <laughs> you like had zits. to go to the pustules, didn't you? Pustules, that's a zit, right? That's just, a clean way of saying zits. I'm going to use pustules in some way in the title for this week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, I totally Why does it derailed smell like you. somebody's brakes are burning. Do you smell that? It's Ty's cooking for dinner. You're riding tonight. your brakes, whoever you are driving through <laughs> the mountains right now. I smell it. Um, no, no, no. Ty, oh, I hope he's not insulted by that. No. I'm sure it is. It's Ty good. doesn't listen to this. No, I'm sure he doesn't. Okay, anyway, back to cleanliness. So, um, but what that means, what what is ritual and cleanliness? It means you can't take part in the sacrifice or the worship at the temple or the tabernacle. You can't go there. That's all it means, really. Now, why? Well, the idea is this. Um, and this goes back to the animals that are unclean as well. So what are the things that make you unclean? Well, bleeding, touching a dead body, you know, um, uh, what, what's, what's a pleasant Bodily fluids. Body of fluids, but leaving you. Yes. So anything that has something to do with, the, with death or diminution of life, any blood that leads, leaves your body is in some sense a diminution of life, right? It's, yes. it's, it's life leaving you. So if you touch a day, if you kill a fly for Pete's sake, you're ritually unclean. So anything associated with death 
makes you ritually unclean. What does that mean? Well, it means you cannot have access to the temple or the tabernacle. Why? Well, the idea is that, remember, originally in the garden, there was no death. Yeah. Death came in as a result of sin. So the idea was the temple or the tabernacle was supposed to be a recreation of the garden, a place where there was no death. And keeping things that have anything to do with death or diminution of life is a reminder that the world is not what it's supposed to be. Death should not be here. There should not be this sort of suffering. And there will come a time when death will be no more. And so it's a built-in, because you can't avoid this. You can't avoid bleeding at times. You can't avoid any of these things. So it's not that, oh man, you're, well, you're hosed because you have this problem. It's just a natural part of life that is there to remind us in this very ritual way that there will come a time when death is no more because God will defeat it, mm. which is actually a much more beautiful way of looking at this than, oh, look, this woman is unclean because we're jerks and sexist. It actually has nothing to do with that, although people became used it for sexism well i'm thinking uh too about when you consider the priesthood if we're talking this book is leviticus it's meant for the yeah. priests yeah. um th when you look at the design and the nature of the temple in and of itself it's yeah. actually meant to be an idealized um eden, eden. and so exactly. to, so to enter back in you cannot be associated with death with death exactly and, that's exactly it and so and so because you've left death it, exactly and it. we do something that's very intentional in yes. our churches, we sign ourselves with the side of the cross with holy water as we walk in for the same reality to exactly. remind us that we have been set free from yes. death and sin yes. and that we're actually entering into the idealized realm, but the, we, the real, the reality of heaven. Yeah, but think about what we do. What do we sign ourselves with? The sign of the cross. What is the cross? Death. Death. So we don't avoid Hold it anymore. On. We go headlong into it. Booyah. And this is actually why the, the gospel is so I interesting. I just said that. I'm sorry. That no, was, I just felt like I was from the 90s. Welcome to 1994. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Lanky Guys, live from 1995. Um, but I think about this. So Jesus in the gospel. So normally what would happen if you touched a person who was ritually unclean, mm -hmm. what would happen to you? You would be unclean. You become unclean. This woman who is suffering from the hemorrhage touches Jesus. What should happen? He should become He should unclean. become unclean. What happens instead? She becomes clean. She actually is cleansed by him. He literally reverses the trajectory of the way the world works. He reverses the trajectory of all of Leviticus. Whoa. And he flips it around, which is why when we now enter into that, we go headlong into the cross. So as we enter the sanctuary, we enter into the death because we know the death, the end of that story of the cross leads to new life. But we don't avoid anything. We actually plunge into death so that we can be raised. So it's it's diametrically opposed. But again, what does that, any of that have to do with holiness? Well, we're being like God. What mm. does God do? God entered into death and was risen and rose again. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Also, I mean, Leviticus is also where you get about all these animals, right? Well, yeah, so, I, was, I was just thinking kosher laws. Like, like why are you not allowed to... Okay, Okay, take yeah, it. No, take it. Make no, it happen. I, I love this stuff. So why the co so there was a um oh who was it? There was a historian. There was a Roman historian. I wish I could. I'm sure I have his name in my. Oh, I I do. I have his name. Oh oh, his name was Tacitus. Tacitus. So a Roman historian named Tacitus. He lived in uh, sometime in the first century. It was very taciturn. Uh, I knew you were going to say something <laughs> punny about that. Um, so Tacitus, sometime around the first century, just a Roman historian. What he would, what he did was he was gathering information about all these ancient civilizations that were known about in his day, and he was going to write mem not memoirs, but he was going to write accounts of these ancient civilizations, so like the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Egyptians and the Israelites. 
And so as he was um, reading Leviticus, he actually wasn't very impressed by Leviticus. He said, this is a lame book. <laughs> and he, he did. And he looked at, he said, you know, these, these Jewish people promote their laws as being the special reality. Oh, look at our laws. Look at our Torah, all these stuff. And he said, I don't see anything original about this. All I see is an inversion of what the nations around them were doing. So literally, if I read through Leviticus, I see, okay, the Egyptians were commanded to eat these animals, so the Israelites were commanded not to eat them. The things that the Egyptians did eat, they didn't eat. The things that Egyptians didn't eat, they did eat. And similarly with the Canaanites. The animals that the Canaanites ate, they didn't eat. The things that the Canaanites did not eat, they ate. So it was literally an inversion of all these things. Now, why would you do that? Why can't they eat the foods that the Egyptians and the Canaanites were eating? Well, what that does is prevent you from sharing in table fellowship. So you can't Which is actually sharing in the covenant. In a covenant. So you can't enter into covenant. Now, when these things are being given, they haven't gone into the, what's going to become the holy land yet, which is where the Canaanites are. So you get these weird there's a weird passage in Leviticus that says you can't eat a yeah, goat, goat that's, that's boiled in its, its mother's, mother's milk. milk. What the heck does that mean? Well, that was actually a Canaanite delicacy. And there's writings about this. This is something they love to do. So what is it saying? It's saying, look, you can't share a meal with these people. Why? Because if you do, you're actually going to enter into sinful realities that you're just not ready for. You can't handle those relationships yet. You You'll be able to eventually. You can't handle it. But think about the other part of this. So go back to Egypt. All these things that have to do with the Egyptians. You can't eat the animals the Egyptians eat. You have to eat the animals that they do not eat. What is... Um, so, you know, we talked about the cleanliness things. It's all associated with death. What were the Egyptians most fascinated with? I don't know. Death. And pyramids and mummification oh, yeah. and sarcophagi. Oh. Why are they being totally separated from the whole Egyptian worldview? Because the Egyptian worldview is steeped in death. What are they avoiding? Death, to point to the time when death will be no more. So it's literally reversing their whole way of looking at the world, pointing to what's to come. Oh, dude. Isn't this cool? This is so cool. Yeah. I don't know if it has anything to do with the seventh Sunday at Nerdy Time, but I'm, <laughs> I don't care. It, well, it does. We'll okay. figure it out, man. But the, that's the holiness. Holy Spirit's moving. But that's holiness. So th this is what this means. What it means is being like God. So you're se being separated in a certain sense. Now, this is all going to change in the New Testament because what does it mean to be like God? Well, it means to be like God who made himself incarnate, who's going to go and dine with sinners, who's going to go and hang out with prostitutes and preach the gospel and, and do these and enter into every avenue of life. I mean, like, it's it's like, right. why is the Roman Empire even involved? And then, Rome? I mean, like, just the, the whole thing, it, it's... What a radical inversion, actually. Like, exactly. I'm kind of like, gra like even as we're sitting here, my yeah. mind is, is going like, what a revolution. Yeah, totally. Let's just... And, and a preparation. Exactly. That's, that's, that's what it is. Yeah, so let's go to the song. But in, but in stages, it's gradually being revealed. And that's the thing about the Old Testament that we have to wrap our heads around, that this yeah. is a gradual revelation. But before we go to the psalm, just to read the last part oh, of this, because we'll yeah. come back to it in the Gospels. Leviticus goes on to say, you shall not bear hatred for your brother or your sister in your heart, though you may have to reprove your fellow citizen. Do not incur sin because of him. Take no revenge, cherish no grudge against any of your people. You shall love the neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Which is actually a really great quote for all the people who are in 12-step programs who are trying to get rid of resentments. Yeah, totally. Because the, the reality is, is, it's like, is, is ultimately it just poisons you. But because we don't read Leviticus, because we avoid it like the plague, we think that <laughs> when Jesus said... Uh, <laughs> yeah. But when Jesus says this in the Gospels, we think, oh my gosh, it's a totally new law that we've never heard before. No, it's not. It was actually part of the law to begin with. So more on that in a minute. Don't call me a moron.
but um, Psalm 103. Oh, wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Very good. Uh, All right, Psalm 103. The Lord, the Lord is kind and merciful. <laughs> Was that too high? <laughs> dude, that hurt that me. That hurt high? me, dude. It hurt your soul. Yeah, it did. So this is, I, I mean, actually, it enlivened my soul. I will enter into <laughs> how badly you died on that one. Oh. Oh. The, oh. It <laughs> <That laughs> hurts. But think about this. So we have this sort of bad perception of the Old Testament. We have this schizophrenic view of God. We've talked about this, right? Yeah. God Martianism. of the Old Testament. Yeah, it is. God of the Old Testament is mean and cruel and vengeful. And God of the New Testament is hold hands and sing kumbaya and dance around and share your cloaks with people. <laughs> that right? Yeah. Hey, let's let's get together and share a cloak. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but what these two readings are actually trying to do, literally it's taking that head on. No, look, the Old Testament God is the God who is kind and merciful and pardons your iniquities and heals your ills and redeems your life and is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. Basically, it's telling us everything you thought about the Old Testament is wrong. Mm. Everything you think about mm. God, which is obviously what they're saying in the gospel because they're saying, well, you've heard it said that you should hate your enemy and do all these things. And it's saying, look, you've read holiness wrong. That's not what holiness is because this is who God is from the beginning. And the psalm is meant to, in song form, remind us of that. This is who the God that you're supposed to be like is. The Lord is (laughs) kind and merciful. As far as the east is from the west. (laughs) Mark Thomas is... (laughs) Throwing up in the toilet. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that uh, that just happened. I couldn't think of anything. Else. Okay. Um, you hmm. are definitely a dad with children right there. <laughs> well, I don't make me bring the dad part into it. All right. First Corinthians. Anything else to say on the psalm? It seems like it's pretty straightforward as far as what the purposes yeah. of these readings are doing. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have anything to say. You I don't said have it any all. Thanks. Interesting historical tidbit on it this week. I um, I have a historical tidbit. Okay, I just lied. <laughs> I don't have anything. You just wanted to say historical tidbit. I did. You're I did. such a seventh grade boy. <laughs> <laughs> did you just call me like, a, dude? I am 36 years old. Thank you. I know you. I are. have almost I made it. I have are. almost endured a generation, but my heart has gone astray. Almost. Oh man. And I do not know his ways. No, so the Lord wait. swore in His anger, oh. I will not enter into His rest. Oh man. I know. Sometimes you feel dude, like that, let's, dude. No, no. Sometimes you pray the invitatory in the morning and you're like, yeah, that's me. (laughs) And at that point, you're like, Lord, please come to my fifth-tenth. A (laughs) fifth-tenth? Did you just say a (laughs) fifth-tenth? A (laughs) fifth-tenth. All right, we got to move this this train. Move it. All right, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 through 23. Brothers and sisters. We already said them that. I know we did, but I wanted to remind. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? Now, think about this. What was, we talked about the first reading with Leviticus. What's the whole premise in Leviticus as to why some things are clean and some things are unclean? What does that have to do with? The temple. The temple. So all of Leviticus has to do essentially with entering into the presence of God, which is the temple. That's where God dwells. Now, where does God dwell? 
in us. In you. Dude, that's radical. It's radical. So everything you thought about cleanness and uncleanness and things that you can interact with and cannot interact with because you want to be acceptable and pure to enter into this building, mm. you need to think that way about interacting with every human being that you meet. Wow. Which is, it's radical. But he, so if anyone destroys God's temple, I will destroy that person, which is pretty profound. We're not just talking about killing. I mean, that's the kind of literal sense. You can kill a person, but there's also ways you can spiritually destroy God's temple. Well, you dude, lead, I, I have to tell you a story. When um, I love stories. As I was uh, having my reversion to the faith um, in college, um, I had a weekend where I ended up breaking my arm. It was all sorts of insanity. Oh, that weekend. Yeah, that weekend. So I like I I go down to Denver or something. I, I don't really remember what all took place, but I had a broken arm and I come back and on Monday I'm in the uh, photography dark room mm-hmm. and a gal who who had gone to church with me knew I went to church every once in a while. She's like, Did you hear what happened at St. Peter's? And I was like, No. And she was like, Somebody broke in on Friday night and desecrated the place. Desecrated the Blessed Sacrament and like I mean it was just like awful, awful stuff. Jeez. And I left the I left the dark room immediately and I walked down to the church Jeez. and I, I um I sat outside and I was brought to my knees because like the Lord had convicted my heart and was like, Do you see this church? That is what you've done to yourself. You are the wow. temple of the Holy Spirit. And this is just an outward sign of what you have done to to me in your soul. Wow, and and I was I walked I walked back and I was like that was kind of intense. <laughs> like, oh my gosh! Yeah, I have a I have a photograph of the the like caution tape on the outside of the church, and it was Jeez. like, yeah, dude, it was really that was really intense, man. Wow, that's intense. Yeah, so that's a, there's your application. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> holy cow! Yeah, no, it's not a holy cow. Oh right, <laughs> but the, I like what it what it goes on to say from there. So. Let no one deceive himself. If any man considers himself wise in this age, let him become a fool so as to be, excuse me, so as to become wise. Some people say that about me. Ah. For the the wisdom of this world is foolishness in the eyes of God. Why is this the case? Because what the wisdom of the world says is revenge, retribution, justice. You know, I mean, we we had this big debate a few weeks ago about the death penalty, right? Mm -hmm. And however you fall in the death penalty... Monsignor Swetland's argument was that as Christians, our primary, our modus operandi should not be justice or retribution. It should be mercy. And that's foolishness in the eyes of the world. No, no, no. I mean, somebody wronged somebody in a grievous way. You get retribution. You have justice. That's what you do. Yeah. It's not wise to think, no, I actually have to treat that person too as a, as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And look upon them mercifully and actually have humility toward the other, which is of foolishness in the eyes of the world. And everything that Jesus is going to say in the gospel is foolishness in the eyes of the world. But, there you go. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) And there's lots more more in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is actually tying together now some of the things it said at the beginning. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the beginning of 1 Corinthians. One of their problems was that they were having personality cults. They were rallying around, you know, oh, I'm better Christian because I'm a follower of Paul, or I am because I'm Apollos or Peter. Or some are even putting Christ in the same camp. Yep. Paul, just so you know, when you hear this on Sunday, he comes back to this later on. He actually says here on Sunday, 
So let so let no one boast about human beings, for everything belongs to you, Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the word of life or death of the present or the future. All belong to you and you to Christ and Christ to God. It's not about the personalities, he's saying. All of these things are about holiness, which yeah. again is with the theme of these readings. It's about being like God. So the degree that to the degree that Father Peter or that Pope Francis lead us to God, that's their job. That's what they're supposed to be. Yeah. Don't follow Pope Francis because you think he's really cool and so much better than all the other popes, like the media tells us. Follow him because he leads you to Christ, because yes. Christ is what matters. Yes. And I love Pope Francis because he does do that. Yeah. Right? And you as and everybody else who does that. <laughs> not every not everybody else. But those who do that. Right. Anyway, just to wrap this uh because Paul does say more. Okay, to the gospel. Shall we? It's Matthew. Time. <laughs> okay. So Matthew 5. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've never done that one before. That, that I always feel like the, the song announcement of things really does make things better. It makes the whole podcast better, Thanks. in my opinion. Thank and you. I hope you, you all agree. You just were so nice to me. Oh, no, no. I, I will even feed you lunch of coffee and and spaghetti sauce. It was a good... It was a... Yeah, we have good it's spaghetti good. We, we don't talk enough about food anymore. I know. What was in that sauce? Because it was unique. It didn't taste like normal sauce. I don't know. But okay. it was unique. It was, wasn't it? It had a little uh, little zing. Yeah. It. it probably had vinegar in it, and Ty was oh, trying to deceive me. Oh, vinegar. I know, but it was probably had a little bit in there. Just you know you know how I know I'm a dad of small children? Oh. As the word hate came out of my mouth, I instantly was like, oh, no, I shouldn't have said that. I really, really dislike it because we... Don't say the word hate. Yeah, I hate it when kids say hate. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. All right. Okay, so I've heard that it said that an ophthalmologist um, tries to pull out eyes don't, and dentists don't. pull out teeth. Why? Why do you need to do that? I don't need to do anything. All I'm right, just... no, it's good. <laughs> okay. You, we, let, Next talionis. We got to check this out. So Jesus said to his disciples, we're still knee deep into the Sermon on the Mount right here, which is Matthew's first major public moment of Jesus. So Jesus said to his disciples, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. Where is that in the Bible? Uh, I don't know. Leviticus? No, it's not in Leviticus. What we saw in Leviticus was something else, remember? Well, I mean, not today, but... Well, no, but this is this is the thing. Oh, there... that, probably Deuteronomy? Um... Genesis. <laughs> stop, stop. That's Exodus. Not, sorry, that's I not, don't know, man. This is what no, happened no. to me in school. I, no, I get by my intuition. No, th- 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 this is the thing. I mean... Leviticus, what we saw in the first reading, and this is why in the church in her wisdom put that first reading in there. Yes. It's making it clear, no, you love even your enemies. You love your your fellow people. There was, I mean, Jesus quotes, sort of, there was a standard in the Old Testament for what's called equivalent retribution. That if somebody wrongs you in a certain way, you have the right to um, have equivalent retribution, right? So you see examples in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, all the things that you rattled off. Yes. So basically, if, if you... Um, you punch me in my face. I can punch you. In you your can face. punch me in the face. No, it's not a biblical command. It's a concession, and that's how it's kind of described in these passages. Okay, you can do this because it was intended to prevent violence from escalating, right? Yeah. To make punishments, you know, proportionate to the crimes. Um, so what Jesus is saying, so a, a Jewish person legally could demand retribution, but Jesus is saying you need to up the ante. That's that this this concession that God gave you, that my father gave you in the law, it's a concession. 
And now it's the time to go back to plan A. Now is the time to actually be who you were supposed to be. I mean, he quotes Hammurabi's code. This isn't a quote from the Bible. It's Hammurabi's code. But he says, I say to you, and remember this, we talked about this last time, the grammatical use of the I, it's so emphatic in the, in the Greek grammar that he's putting himself on the level of Moses. I'm giving you a new kind of law. He says, whenever, strike, whenever someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other one as well. Now think about this for a second. To be struck on the right cheek. Um, if a person is right-handed, what would it mean to be struck on the right cheek? Just So just picture it. Slap doing, me. So you got, oh, I wish I could reach you. I would slap you. Oh, hold on. So hold on. You'd slap me on my left cheek if you were right-handed. Aha. So if I was right-handed, how would I slap you on your right cheek? Backhanded. Backhanded. Which, again, in the Jewish culture, to get a backhanded slap is like 10 times more offensive than a regular slap. Which is, I I think, actually, that that today holds true. It probably holds true. If somebody backhanded me, I would be like, I'd be like, did you just diss me and my crew? And we're going to have to roll up in here, man. Totally. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, um, and it, it was in the Mishnah. The Mishnah talks about this, how the, a, a slap was regarded as far more insulting than a normal slap. And it actually would, if it was going to be punished, it, receive, it would receive a punishment, double the punishment of getting a regular slap on the face. Oh, wow. So Jesus um, is challenging his disciples to basically endure further insult. Because we all know that the insult that he and his disciples are going to bear is going to be far greater than just a slap on the cheek, right? Yeah. So he's basically saying, take the insults because it's not worth it. So uh, the right cheek, he goes on, he says, if anyone wants to go to law with you over a tunic, hand over your cloak as well. Um, well, I, I'd love to talk about that. Let's go to the next one really quick, though. Should anyone press you into service for one mile, go two miles? So think about these for a second. We can all think of just kind of practical applications. Okay, somebody slaps you on the cheek. They insult you, basically. Okay, I, I get that. I get insulted in my life. I can understand how to apply that. Somebody wants your coat. I should be more generous with giving things. If someone demands something of me, I should be generous and give them more. Somebody demands that you go for one mile, go for two miles. Okay, what's the practical application of that? So when in my life do people demand that I walk a mile with them? That it not it kind of weird? It's a, it's a strange example for Jesus to use. You, do you know where I'm going? Why yeah, yeah, with, with, the, with the Roman army. Well, yeah, th- this is one of the things that reminds us. So people read the Sermon on the Mount sometimes as though this is just a speech that Jesus could have given on his, at his kitchen counter as well as he could have on a hill slope in Galilee. But he didn't give it his, at his kitchen counter. Time and place and context matter. Yeah. And he's giving this speech on a hill slope in Galilee. Do you know what kind of people gave speeches on hill slopes in Galilee? No. Revolutionaries. Oh. So, you know, in Jesus' time, everybody is rallying together to try to prepare to go to war against Rome. That's what everybody wants. And everyone's waiting for the Messiah figure that they're going to have lead them to battle. Because the Old Testament was clear. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to defeat your enemies. Who are our enemies? Well, surely Romans. it's the Romans. So all of these Which false... I, I, think the, I think the world feels that way now. Oh, oh us? Yeah, oh. Roman Catholics. Oh. But... Um, all these false messiahs or people claiming to be Messiah, that they're going to defeat the Roman Empire, they would gather, guess where? In the hillsides in Gal- hillsides in Galilee. <laughs> hillsides, yeah, dude. The hillsides. <laughs> yeah, come on, let's do some sliding. I have to say, though, one of my favorite things in the world are guys who are like, the Messiah is coming, and they're like, am I him? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like these brothers are like, they're like, they're like. I mean, I am pretty it's good. Me. 
yeah, like I'm pretty good. Should I just like leave this out? <laughs> Why not? Yeah, and then they're like, I, yeah, and they I, like well, go. <laughs> I wonder how many of them really did think like, yeah, it's it's me. I mean, I'm sure some a lot of them were just swindling people, but I bet some people actually thought they were. I mean, Gamaliel talked about the one guy who was pretty good, Simon Bar Kokhba. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Simon Bar Kokhba led a lot of people to their deaths. Yeah, so he he thought he was the Messiah. He seemed to have, but. So these people are, are they're hanging out in the hillsides because there's lots of hills, there's lots of caves, there's rocks you can hide behind, and you wouldn't get caught. So literally, people would go out there and they would take groups to give speeches. They would give revolutionary speeches, and lots of people would follow them. So here's Jesus, this young prophet guy, going out to the wilderness. He's got his 10 cronies. He goes up on a mountain, and he starts giving a speech. What is everybody expecting? I mean, if it looks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, it's probably a duck. I don't they're usually expecting use cliches a, like that, but I, I mean, know. it's a, they're expecting a revolutionary. They're expecting a revolutionary speech, and what revolution. does he say? Love your enemies, forgive those who persecute you. I mean, he gives. Imagine a politician getting up and giving a speech about forgiving Al Qaeda and just love them, love Al Qaeda, forgive them for what they've done to us. I mean, can you can you even fathom what would happen to that sort of a politician? But this is what Jesus is doing. And when he brings up this stuff about going one mile and going two miles, there was a, a Roman law that any Roman centur- any Roman soldier could pull you off the street and force you, by law, to carry their stuff for one mile. So literally, Jesus is saying, okay, if somebody pulls you off the street away from your family, kidnaps you essentially, legally, and forces you to carry their heavy backpack for one mile, guess what? Look him in the face at the end of that one mile and say, I can go another one for you. I mean, can you imagine what that would do in the heart of a Roman soul? I, I don't know what it would do, but I mean, uh, how profound that would actually yeah. be. I mean, so what if people actually took Jesus up on this challenge? What if people, I mean, imagine around the Roman Empire, Roman soldiers who were forcing people to carry their packs cruelly, and they looked up and said, I'll carry your bag for one more mile for you. They slap them on the face and say, here, do it again. Bring it on. What would happen to the Roman soldiers? Do you know who the first people, who is the first person in the gospel at Jesus' crucifixion to proclaim that that truly was the Messiah? Longinus. It's a a Roman Roman soldier. It's a Roman soldier. Do you notice in the gospels and in Acts, all of the Roman soldiers that just completely inexplicably come flocking to Jesus and the cross and the church? Why are all these Roman soldiers converting all through the gospels? Could it be that people are actually taking Jesus up on his challenge in the Sermon on the Mount and are literally converting the hearts of these Roman soldiers? Dude, that just opens my heart. That opened my heart up. Because otherwise it's inexplicable. Yeah. I think that's actually what's happening. I wonder. Which I think is profoundly beautiful. Dude, it's, it's so righteous. Because this isn't just hating your enemy, this, just this abstract figure that doesn't like you. This is forgiving the people that want to kill you, literally, and have been killing your people and overtaxing you and oppressing you. Yeah. What does it mean to actually forgive them and love them? That's just too much. Well, it's a, it's like a fundamental reality. I mean, it brings us back to Leviticus, where in verse 17, you shall not bear hatred for your brother or sister in your heart. Yeah. 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 Actually, actually, it's a fundamental attitude of saying, I am not going to entertain hatred. Rather, what I'm going to do is that I am going to encounter people like in, in Corinthians as a temple of the Lord, as a vessel that's meant to be filled right. by the by the uh, by the holy uh, effervescence and smoke of God, the fire of the Lord. 
that they're they're yeah. I'm going to actually encounter them as that way. Because yeah. even as you were just talking about being present as service, dude, it does kind of suck when somebody asks you to do something and you're like, totally. I don't want to do, do this, and then you and then you and then like and, yeah. and you go donkey and you're like. <laughs> <laughs> like you go donkey yeah you know it's like you have to kick a donkey to keep it going oh okay it's like it's like uh um, you're saying something else uh balaam's ass yeah you know that's what i think got it um so so i yeah. think i think that's so where, where is this but the the willingness to actually go and to be of service in the midst of that yeah of, of like just like these of, of your oppressors it totally profoundly transforms their hearts yeah that's Absolutely. really intense and beautiful. Yeah, and that's what it means to be holy. And that's what it means is this passage closes, to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. What does holiness mean? To be like God. What does real holiness mean? To be perfect like your heavenly. And actually what it says in the Greek, it says it's actually a, it's a, it's a, a passive verb, be perfected as your heavenly father is perfect. So it's not saying, hey, go out and do this. It's saying, allow yourself to be transformed completely by God. Be perfected, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the definition. That's the new, updated, revised slightly definition of what holiness actually is. Dude, do you know how? Do you know how much that relieves my soul to to actually hear the word "be perfected"? Isn't that beautiful? And not be perfect. Right. It's totally different. Like, dude, it like it literally releases me to be okay and to be like. Okay, I can engage and I can be perfected, yeah. rather than like like expectation and shame just totally will ravage you. Totally, and then uh, and it's and it's so easy to say like whatever is gonna. I actually think that it's 180 degrees. Be perfect versus be perfected. It is because it is 180 degrees. Because Israel, what are, what what are they looking at? I'm gonna be perfect. I'm gonna go through this, and then you get all rigid, and you're like, we're gonna like, exactly. We're gonna follow all these laws exactly, exactly and then, then then we'll be lovable and it'll be okay. Exactly. Rather than saying like, no, be perfected. Walk in the path. Mary like, Magdalene was being perfected. Yes. The Pharisees were not being perfected. No, even and they the were trying difference. to be perfect. Right. And man, right. exactly. And, and that is like, and that gets me deadly. Yes. Absolutely. Whew. Man, I like this. Dude, dude, you just lit me up on all these readings. Thank you. Lit you me up. That. I love these readings today. Yeah, like these I, are good ones. I, w- I read them and and I like I was like, man, I I need to go see my optometrist. <laughs> <laughs> Get a teeth cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, thank you for listening and joining us today. All right, you guys. We yeah, find us on Facebook. Pin us on Pinterest. <laughs> uh, find us on Vine. Get a book on Amazon. <laughs> Dude, that's that's the thing. Is <laughs> that's all I got. Is that if you guys want to, yeah, do anything, contact us on the interwebs. <laughs> Thomas Center at lankyguys.org. We always we got to bring this in for landing. Okay, we love you guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye bye. Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.